Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning, and uh, especially uh, you young ones. This is the point where you've been waiting for it, because you've been sitting there thinking like, okay, when do we get to go have fun? And this is it. It's all you get. We're glad you guys are here. Moms and dads, uh, we do have a children's program, and uh, we've got uh, Heather here today. I do want to announce that we have a new uh, kind of part-time interim um, kids director that we hired this past week, um, Christine McDonald, and they have four children, and their children went back to school, and, uh, and guess what happened when their children came home from school? One of them, uh, two of them have tested positive for COVID, so they are at home isolating. And so this is her grand welcome on a Sunday morning as a new kids director is that she gets to stay at home. And if you're watching here, Christine, uh, yay, we're glad that you are are taking this on. And uh, so kids, you have a new director. Heather is going to work with her, and Heather has been holding the fort for us, and we're grateful for her. So I want to pray for you guys and then let you go with Heather, and she's going to take you off into your time together. So, Father, we thank you for children. We thank you that we enter the kingdom of God like children. We're dependent, and we're completely trustworthy, and we're, um, we just allow ourselves to be innocent and vulnerable. And so we pray that uh, we would learn from our children what it means to follow you, Jesus, and pray that you'd encourage them. Thank you for Heather and those that are helping her this morning, and allow this to be an amazing time for them as they interact with our, with our young children uh, who love you and uh, worship you together with us. Amen. So kids, if you guys want to head on off and follow Heather, she'll go with you and uh, have fun. Yeah, I just loved it when we, uh, when we brought um, Christine on and went, hey, this is great. And then she said, just so you know, um, the kids are back at school and there's a chance that they may get COVID. And sure enough, um, that happened. So we are um, just rolling with the punches, so to speak. <clears throat> so if you are from this area, um, you are probably familiar with some of the long-standing family names that are part of this region. And if you're not from this region, just take a moment and think back to where you grew up and the family names that everybody seemed to know. Okay? Now, in Collingwood, I've only been here on and off for like 20 years. My wife's from Stainer, Claire's from Stainer. So we were first married, started out here in Stainer, and then we've moved around a couple places. But we've been back for uh, nearly eight years. And uh, where are my glasses? There they are. And um, so I asked some people... What are some common Collingwood names? Like if you grew up in Collingwood or if you've been around for a while, you'll be familiar with those names. And so some of our people that have been here that I, that I knew to talk to said, well, there's family names like the Hiltons or the Skinners or the Palmers or the Browns or the Hutchinsons. And there are others. But if you've been here a long time, you hear those names and you think, oh, yeah, that's a Collingwood family. They've been here for generations. And it's interesting because when you go over to Clearview and you look at family names in Clearview, you come across names like the Beatties, the Smiths, the Giffins, the Metheralls, the Weatheralls, and they're all farming families that have been around forever. And some of you are shaking your head going, yeah, yeah, I know those people. And, and those names have credibility to them. They have credentials. There's value placed on those family names. 
And you know that because if you are new and you've come into this area and people ask you your name and they just give you like, oh. Uh, Keith Hall, our former um, um, deputy mayor, that's right. Um, I was talking with him one day and he said, Paul, I've lived here 25 years and I talk to people that have been here for generations and they still treat me like an outsider. See, there's something about family names that bring credibility, that offer a kind of credential. So if you go down to Niagara or to Waynefleet and you talk about the kisses, there's value attached to that family name. And uh, I'll leave you to imagine what that's all about. And then there's Wasega Beach, all the family names in Collingwood, all the family names in Clearview, and then all those long-standing family names in Wasega Beach, like... Um, yeah, the only one I could come up with is Mark Rutan because he's been selling real estate for, for 30 years and his face and name is plastered everywhere. Oh, and then there's the Proctors. So there's a family name that's a part of our congregation that have been on the beach for a long time. But family names have value. They give credibility. And as we go through Luke's gospel today, I want to read for you a list of family names that are attached to Jesus. We often call these lists of family names the genealogies. And those of you who are ancestry buffs will get all excited now for a moment. But, but I want to read for a few verses before that list of family names and then walk you through the family names. And you can follow along in Luke chapter 3 in your Bible or we'll have it on the screen here. And um, we've got this here starting out one day, um, Luke 3 Verse 21, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. And as he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Now Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. And then this is the fun part. Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Joseph was the son of Heli. Heli was the son of Mathat. Mathat was the son of Levi. Levi was the son of Melchi. Melchi was the son of Janai, who was the son of Joseph, who was the son of Matathias, who was the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagi, the son of Maath, the son of Matathias, the son of Semyon, of Joseph, of Yoda, of Yohanan, of Resa, of Zerubbabel, of Shealtiel, of Neri, of Melchi, of Adi, of Kosim, of Almadan, of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, of Joseph, of Yonan, of Eliakim, of Melia, of Mena, of Matatha, a son of Nathan, who was the son of David, who was the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, of Admin, of Arni, of Hezron, of Perez, of Judah, of Jacob, of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. Abraham was the son of Terah. Terah is the son of Nasher. Nasher is the son of Serug. Serug is the son of Ruah. Ruah the son of Peleg, of Eber, of Shelah, of Canaan, of Arphaxed, of Shem, of Noah. Who was the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Yared, the son of Mahalalel, of Canaan, of Enosh, of Seth. Seth was the son of Adam. And Adam was the son of God. That is a mouthful. Yeah, you should cheer for that. But part of you is like, who cares? Whenever I get to that part, Paul, I just turn the page. Because what is there in, in that? And today, I actually want to spend our time focusing on this and ask the question, what do the genealogies of Jesus 
have anything to do for us today that's helpful? Well, I think we've already established that family names have value attached to them and credentials. And so I think it's worth noting that when Luke is is creating this historical account of Jesus and he's presenting Jesus to his readers, whether it's Theophilus or all the other people who would be reading, he is saying, here are the credentials of Jesus. The one that you are giving your life to. The one that you are maybe having your life threatened for. And so these names had value to those original readers, but what value does it have for us today? Well, I would suggest, if you're willing to work with me on this, is that the genealogy of Jesus actually keeps him firmly rooted in history, and that makes him our brother. See, Jesus isn't just a mythological character or our mythological God. There are stories in the ancient world from other religions of gods having relationship with humans and through that relationship having offspring. And so you've come across some of these names like Mithras. There's a whole religion around Mithraism in the first century AD. Gods like Bacchus, the Roman god Bacchus, or, or Horus, or Osiris, the Egyptian gods. And some of these stories are about someone being born through a virgin birth and dying and rising again. And some people go like, aha, the Christians just borrowed another myth story. But the big difference is that those stories are just that. They are mythological stories. They are, they are about um, theoretical things, about the gods out there. And they're used as a way of trying to explain existence. But the big difference between those stories and the story of Jesus is that he is rooted in history. We're talking about a man named Yeshua ben Yosef. Jesus, the son of Joseph, who was the son of. And there's a family ancestry attached to this. Jesus has a family tree. Family trees need roots, just like any other tree. If there's no roots, there's no trunk, there's no branches, there's no leaves, there's no fruit. And Jesus is rooted in actual physical history with real family lines. And those lines also trace back, importantly for the people of this day, in the first century, to David the king and to Judah, one of the 12 tribes, which also helped them see the lineage of Jesus as Messiah. And so he is firmly, firmly rooted in history. And if Jesus is rooted in our history And if he is also the son of God, as we believe him to be, then that means there is a God who understands what it's like to be you. He understands the challenges and the joys, the trials and the struggles, the laughter and the crying, the elation and the pain of life because he is rooted in our history, in my history and in your history. This is not a God who is out there only. This is a God who has come and taken on human flesh and lived life like you and like me, but in a first century Middle Eastern context. And I just find that that's really encouraging. It solidifies the humanity of Jesus. But there's something curious. When you get to verse 23, and we read that Jesus was 30 years old, 
in his ministry, we then read that Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. Or another way you could translate this word here is Jesus was supposedly the son of Joseph. And it's curious that Luke does that because he's playing his hand to the readers, pointing to something that we need to pay attention to. And if you remember back in Luke 1, when the angel came to Mary, the angel said that that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that Jesus wouldn't have a, a human physical father. And so it's interesting that Luke says Jesus was known as the son of Joseph, but then he traces the family line through Joseph. Something curious about genealogies too. Did you know that there's another place in the Bible that has the genealogy of Jesus? In Matthew chapter 1. The very first chapter of Matthew is a genealogy of Jesus, but there's a problem. Matthew's genealogy is quite a bit different than Luke's. And you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Well, that creates some problems, doesn't it? Would you like to know why there's those differences? Good. I'm not going to tell you right now. But if you go to the sermon notes on the website, for five minutes I explain the differences between Matthew and Luke's genealogy. So how's that for a tease? If you want to know, you have to go to the notes on the website, download the notes, and there's a link there that you can click. And I walk you through that. Okay? He was known as the son of Joseph. There's something at play here. And when you take the genealogy in Luke 3 and you take it out, you're left with the baptism of Jesus and then the temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. And if you take the genealogy out, that story reads seamlessly. So if you stop at verse 22 in Luke 3 and then start at verse 4-1, the story runs seamlessly. And the genealogy is couched between these two stories about his baptism and his temptation. And in the baptism of Jesus, we see something curious, that Luke is helping not only lay the credentials of Jesus being rooted in history, but gives his criteria for being the Son of God. There's a certain certification that comes with Jesus. If you go to the doctor and you want, and it's, maybe it's a new doctor and you're not sure about the doctor, one of the things you want to know about is, are you a part of the College of Physicians? Do you have credentials? And there's a certain amount of credentials that we want in somebody if we're willing to put our trust in them. And what Luke is doing in the genealogy, I think, is he's laying out the credentials of Jesus. This is his human lineage. But along with that... And you'll see as we go along to the end, there's more than just the human lineage of Jesus. Where he places it is right after the baptism of Jesus. And let's go back and look at these verses again in the baptism. Right here. There we go. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said... Did you catch that? A voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Let's just talk a bit about the Holy Spirit. Luke references the Holy Spirit throughout his gospel and the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit is very important to Luke. And I think what Luke is doing is is showing us that in Jesus' humanness, he was able to live a fully surrendered life to the will of God. 
And sometimes I think we think Jesus did the things he did and was sinless and could do all these amazing things because he was the Son of God. But I think Luke is helping us see that it's the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, his relationship to the Holy Spirit, and his surrender to the will and the power of the Holy Spirit that allows Jesus to live the life he lived. And I hope that's an encouragement for you because it means that the Holy Spirit is inviting you into that same kind of life. And what you think is impossible for yourself, you're absolutely right. But it is not impossible for God to do a work in you that you could never imagine. And Jesus lived in relationship to the Holy Spirit. But then this voice is curious. It says, you are my dearly loved son. The voice, Jewish people would call that the bat kol, literally the daughter of the voice. The voice of God comes out of heaven and quotes, Luke has the voice quoting from Psalm 2-7. It's a psalm about the king. And in Psalm 2-7 we read, today you are my son and I have become your father. And it's a messianic psalm. And then Isaiah 42, verse 1, which is about the servant of Yahweh, God's servant, the Messiah. And it says, this is my servant, and I put my spirit upon him, and with him I am well pleased. And so Luke takes these two verses that Jesus um, is hearing in this voice and helps us to see the credentials of Jesus, not just as being firmly rooted in history as our brother, but also in his credentials as the Son of God. And as you go through the genealogy, name after name after name after name after name, you come to Adam. And the very last sentence, Luke introduces Adam as the Son of God. When you read, did I say Matthew? I meant Luke if I said Matthew. When you read Matthew's genealogy, Matthew actually starts at Abraham and works his way back to Joseph and Jesus. Luke starts with Jesus and Joseph and works his way all the way back, not just to Abraham, but all the way to Adam. And in Matthew's genealogy, stops at Abraham. You need to remember that Matthew is writing to Jewish people. But Luke goes further. Luke goes all the way back to Adam. Luke is representing for us and for his readers a universal Jesus, a universal Savior. You're familiar with this. A lot of you probably saw that symbol last night watching a movie, Universal Studios. And you know, Universal Studios, when it first began, was actually known as a renegade film studio with radical thoughts about what film could be in the 1920s and 30s. And I think in some ways, Jesus comes along as a renegade prophet who is bringing radical ideas about what the kingdom could be, way beyond what the people of his time were were ready to accept. And I think in many ways, Jesus is still presenting us with things that, that are so radical, we have a hard time accepting them. And he is a universal savior. And what I mean by that is not that with Jesus, hey, everybody gets in, don't worry about it, go have fun with life, and then we get to enjoy the, 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 the eternity afterwards. 
Jesus is for everyone, meaning that his love is open to anyone and everyone, and they're welcome to come to the Father through him. Compare that with chapter 3, verse 8, where um, Steve talked about John the Baptist last week. And last week, John the Baptist is preaching to the crowds, and he says, prove that you are God's people by the way you live. Don't just say to each other, we're safe because we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. And there's this sense of people having this identity, like, well, we're children of Abraham, so therefore we're on the inside and everyone else is on the outside. No problem. And John is challenging that kind of thinking. You are limiting the scope of God's mission. Because throughout the Hebrew Bible, there's this plan for God to be reaching everyone, including non-Jewish people. And I think what John is doing with the genealogy is he's holding that against verse 8, this, this cultural mindset that because we're God's people, somehow we're better than. We're on the inside, they're on the outside. There's this othering of people. And what Luke is doing is saying, Jesus is for everyone. And he goes all the way back to Adam, who is the father of everyone, who is also the son of God. The Apostle Paul compares Jesus and and Adam in in Romans chapter 5, and he's talking about these two together, and he just says, now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ, the one who was yet to come. And so when Luke is here saying Adam was the son of God, and he's finishing with that, he's just tying that all back to the credentials of Jesus as the son of God, as the second Adam, or the true humanity And and in many ways, we are called into living a life in the humanity of Jesus, not the humanity of Adam. There's a a scholar who writes this about Jesus. His name is Justo Gonzalez. Jesus is the culmination of the history of Israel, but he's also the culmination of the history of all humankind. Jesus is not disconnected from all that went before him. He's rooted in history. He is our brother, and he is certified as the Son of God. He is our Lord. I want to play out one one final thing that, that might be encouraging for you in this list of names. That, by the way, if you just get to it and you skip over, like, um, there's no lightning bolts coming out of the sky. Um, God's not going to smite you. But I'm hoping... That even in something that seems boring and mundane like this, maybe you're finding a glimmer of hope. There's something really cool here that's kind of, it's not hidden, because I don't like that language of like you have to be some type of special knowledge person to get it. But, but if you're looking for it, you'll see it. And it's this idea of God's covenant faithfulness. Now here's a great picture. Um, Megan Ratnam, who um, was on staff here, she's in the Dominican now, we support her. She still comes and she speaks. She's a great communicator. And Megan will often joke about people making a pinky promise. And if the kids were here, I'd ask them about that. You know what a pinky promise is? It's like the promise that you dare not ever break. If you make a pinky promise, you don't break that promise. 
And in many ways, the covenant that God makes with humanity is, you know, tongue-in-cheek. It's like God made a pinky promise. And throughout the Hebrew Bible, you see God in this covenant relationship with, with Israel, with humanity and with Israel. And covenant is this idea of a relational promise. It is a pinky promise, but it is entirely based on the relationship, not on consequences, not on contracts. Covenant is about relationship. And so God makes covenant promises with Israel again and again and again. And so this is a dominant theme throughout the Hebrew Bible. It is a dominant theme in Luke's gospel. Go back to Luke chapter 1. When Mary sings her song, she says that God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. That's covenant language. The next song over in Luke 1, Zechariah's song, I think it's verse 71. Zechariah talks about God fulfilling his covenant promise to Abraham. The covenant is there. If you go to Luke chapter 22, the very end of Luke's gospel, Jesus is having a final meal with his followers. And he holds a cup and he says to his followers, this cup represents the new covenant that my blood is initiating or inaugurating. Referencing his death. And the new covenant that was talked about in Jeremiah 31, where God said, the old covenant's not working. I'm going to make a new covenant with Israel. It's not about laws and and who's in and who's out. It's about people having the law of God put on their very hearts through the Spirit of God. Covenant is this huge theme. And there's always this emphasis of God keeping his part of of the agreement, of keeping the pinky promise. And as you read through the genealogy, you come across some of these names. David. God made a covenant with David. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Noah. And God made a covenant with Adam. And I think what Luke is doing is helping the readers and even us today remember the faithfulness of God even when things seem difficult. That God is still at work, that God hasn't forgotten, that God is still doing things for you and with you and through you and not to lose sight of that. And I think that's part of what Luke's doing here in including this list of names. Because by including the list of names, these names are included and these are dominant names of God's faithfulness. I just want to, in this chapter, make clear that what I think is happening is when Luke puts all these names down, he's reminding us that Jesus is rooted in our history, that he is your brother, that he understands what it's like to be human in all the ups and downs, that Jesus has the credentials of being the son of God. He is not only our brother, he is also our Lord. So I wonder what that's like for you. How does that impact you as you think about your relationship with Jesus? That he is both your brother and your Lord. That he both understands what it's like to be you and calls you into his life, into living a new life in him. That if Jesus is for everyone, then how do we learn as a people to make Jesus fully accessible to everyone? 
What are we doing that is opening the doors for people to have access to Jesus? And what are we doing that are keeping people from having access to Jesus? Through our attitudes, through our behavior. Um, And I want to leave you with those, but I want to encourage you. You have one that is firmly rooted in history as your brother and has all the credentials as the Son of God and is inviting you into his life. And we're going to keep tracking with him through this life as we go through Luke's gospel. So I hope that's an encouragement for you. And I just encourage you to sit with some of that and think about those implications. Let's pray. Lord, I think about uh, what the Hebrew, uh, what the writer to the Hebrews said, that Jesus was made like us in every way, and that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. And because he's for everyone, he wants everyone to join the family. Holy Spirit, as you were active in the life of Jesus, as you were active in the early church, as you've been active throughout the centuries, may you open our eyes to see where you are blowing and moving and at work today. And may that be a huge encouragement for us. May we keep you in the center of our focus, in the center of our lives, Jesus, and not get distracted from news feeds and posts and talk on the street but that we would allow you to center us and to unite us. You are our brother and our Lord. We give ourselves to you again today. Amen. So next week, we're going to have some fun, and we're going to start talking about power. Taking back power the way Jesus does. We'll see you next week.